our natural instinct, and it certainly goes against society. And it's that God's power works through our weakness. The way of the cross in our lives is that we embrace the fact we are weak and we rely on the fact that God is strong. And the effect it has is that when we recognize that we're weak but God's strong, we're willing and we're able to to stoop down and, and serve rather than fight for our rights. We're not saying that God's power works through people who are woe is me and pathetic. But we, gotta, we must grasp God's power works through weakness. And I wonder, have we, have we really, really grasped that? Has it made, they say that the longest journey is from your head to your heart. Have we grasped that God's power works best through our weakness as we depend on him? We've talked about this before, but all the way through the Bible, God's glorified by weak people depending on a strong God. And God works in that, and God's glorified in that. And I think that's an enormous encouragement to to those of you and those of us who who feel weak, those of us who struggle mentally, emotionally, who, who don't feel clever, who don't feel strong. God's way, the way of the cross, is that God works powerfully through our weakness, as we depend on him. And and what what we see is our weakness, far from disqualifying us, when we depend on God's strength, actually qualifies us to be used by him. God doesn't use those who think they've got it all together. And that's the main thrust of 2 Corinthians, this book that we're starting today. This morning I'm going to briefly introduce the, the letter And then I'm going to show how Paul sets out the main teaching in the first 11 verses. So let's introduce the book for a little bit. We we began last year, if you remember, by looking at 1 Corinthians. And we're going to spend the first half of this year looking at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, it's considered to be the most heartfelt, the most honest, the most vulnerable letter in the New Testament. Paul really does lay his, his heart bare. Corinth were a, a massive city. It was the third biggest city in the Roman Empire behind Rome and Alexandria. It was a relatively new city. It had, been, it had, been, had a complete refurb. It had been rebuilt about 80 years before Paul speaks, uh, completely renovated by Caesar. It, it was thriving. It was bubbling. It was popular. It was trendy. It was a proper melting pot as well. It was governed by Rome. Culturally, it was Greek, because that's where they had more people that were Greek in it than anywhere else. And there were a huge group, there were a minority, but a huge minority of Jews there. So you can think about, you know, you've got Roman rule, Greek culture, and mixed into that, a load of Jews. The economy were absolutely thriving. And like most modern cities, there were a massive emphasis on climbing the ladder, getting a good education, doing well for yourself. None of those things in and of themselves are are wrong, are they? But they are dangerous. Because what happens is when we climb the ladder, when we get a good education, when we do well for ourselves, our temptation is that we we move away from feeling like we're weak and serving in weakness. I'm surprised how many Christians, especially with with the kids, almost idolise education, idolise getting a good job, idolise going to universities. 
none of those things in and of themselves are bad, but when, when they're elevated, they become a problem. Paul planted a, a church in Corinth. People were getting genuinely, genuinely converted, but, but the church was an absolute nightmare. And in some ways, that's normal. It's what you'd expect. There is a degree that in a healthy church, you're going to have loads of problems. But Corinth were particularly problematic. Paul plants the church, and then not long after he's planted it, he hears that there's gross sexual immorality still going on. And so he writes a first letter to him. We haven't got the first letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians, but it's referenced in 1 Corinthians 5. He, he tells me he'd written to them. And the letter that he writes doesn't work. He gets, he gets a report alluded to in 1 Corinthians 1.11 that, that there are still big fallings out. And so Paul writes a second letter to the Corinthians, and the second letter that he writes is what we know as 1 Corinthians, because that's the one that's in the Bible. And in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses the, they've got bad attitudes, they've got worldly attitudes, the, they're immoral. The way that they function as a church is all wrong, and we looked at that last year. And that letter doesn't seem to work. And so six months later, Timothy visits Corinth. And things are a complete mess when Timothy visits Corinth. And so Paul drops everything, and, and Paul makes what he references in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 as his painful visit. His sorrowful visit. Paul goes and he gives him a right telling off. And that doesn't go well. And so Paul writes a third letter to him. Described in 2 Corinthians 4. And we read that he wrote that third letter in tears because he loved him. And he, he, they were exasperating him. And that letter seems to work to some degree. And so Paul writes a fourth letter to the Corinthians... A final letter to the Corinthians, and we know it as 2 Corinthians. So it's the fourth letter, but it's the second one that's in the Bible. And in this letter, 2 Corinthians, it's one last effort at trying to bring them all together, and he's trying to urge these Corinthians to live a, a sacrificial, cross-shaped life. And in this letter, Paul really does open his heart to them. Paul loves this church. And one writer says that Paul both loved the Corinthians and they drove him nuts. And the main theme of this final letter is that God works powerfully. God works best. God works not when we think we've got it all together and we can do this. He works when in our weakness we depend on him. And it, it were a massively important lesson for the, the Corinthians here because the Corinthians had fallen into the trap that we fall into of thinking that life's all about climbing the ladder. Life's all about getting that good education. Life's all about getting your mortgage paid off. Life's all about doing well. Life's all about being strong and being in a position where we're sufficient, self-sufficient. And they'd fallen into this to such an extent that one of the problems Paul has to address in this letter is that the Corinthians had said to Paul, we need to see your credentials. We want, to, we want to see your credentials to see that you're actually an apostle. How shocking is that? The logic was this. Because Paul wasn't wealthy, because Paul wasn't fancy, because Paul's life was marked with hardship and suffering, and because he, he didn't speak fancy, he couldn't be a proper apostle, could he? Can you imagine how Paul must have felt? He's poured himself into this church. 
He's planted this church. He'd cared for this church. And now they've turned on him. They've been listening to what Paul addresses later on as the super apostles. And Paul has to remind them the mark of a true apostle, the mark of a true servant of Christ, the mark of a true Christian isn't health and wealth and prosperity and an easy life. The real mark is that they're willing to suffer for Jesus, give things up for Jesus, step down for Jesus and, and admit the weakness. And it's a message that the Corinthians desperately needed to hear and it's a message we desperately need to hear. That's why this letter is so personal. That's why it addresses the reality of, of suffering. Suffering's personal, isn't it? It addresses how God uses suffering to shape us and get his work done. And it's teaching us ultimately that, that as we think about the cross, as we think about what Christ did on the cross, it should challenge our values. We should start to value humility. We should actually start to value weakness. When we're talking about weakness, we're not talking about patheticness and giving up, but we, we, should, we should value weakness. We should value dependence on Christ. And that should transform the way that we live. That's what Paul's addressing in this letter. I'd love to spend time in the first couple of verses. In, in the first couple of verses, Paul subtly reminds them, I am an apostle and I have got authority from Christ. And then he wishes them grace and peace from God. That's not a light greeting, but we're only going to mention it for a sentence. He's saying, God's made peace with you because of his grace. Paul's brought us as undeserving sinners into a loving relationship with him. And it's nothing we've done, it's all that God's done. And then in the opening verse, Paul sets out the, the, the theme of the letter. And we're going to see two things in the, the rest of our time this morning. Two themes that run all the way through this letter. The first is this. God comforts us in our suffering so that we can comfort other people in theirs. God comforts us in our suffering, so that we can comfort other people in theirs. We see that in verse 3 to 7. In other words, it's this, don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your weakness. And the second thing we see is, God ultimately delivers us from our troubles, so that we depend on him and not on us. God ultimately delivers us from our troubles so that we depend on him and not on us. And so we could sum it up. Don't, dis don't waste your suffering, but don't despair in your suffering. So first then, God comforts us in our suffering so that we can comfort other people when they suffer. Don't waste our suffering. Keep in view the mindset in the church that, that suffering was a sign of God's displeasure Weakness was a sign of failure. And so Paul's message is summed up in verse 3 to 4. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are being comforted by God. Paul's saying God comforts us so that we can comfort you with God's comfort that comforted us. Let's work through it. I think, I think that's a beautiful description of the character of God, isn't it? He is the Father of mercies. As Josh said, He is strong and He's kind. God is the source of mercy. God's the one who mercy comes from. Let's get it out of our heads this morning that God is, is raging and God is angry and, and, and God's got a temper and that God's unforgiving and that God's begrudging. God is the Father of mercies. He's holy and he's, he's angry at sin. God is the Father of mercies. 
Remember that when you fall. Remember that when you fail. Remember that when you think, as I think sometimes, Lord, I've done this too many times now. You must be totally fed up with me. He is the God of, he is the Father of all mercy. That means mercy flows from God. God is the source of mercy. God is more merciful than we can ever, ever imagine. If you imagine God as lovely and merciful, he's more merciful than that. And so we don't run from him when we fail. We run to him when we fail. And Paul also says he is the God of all comfort. Isn't that a lovely thought? God is the God of all comfort. Excuse me, because I'm bunged up. Give me a second. So you'll notice in these first few verses, that the, first, the, the five verses from verse 3 to verse 7, in fact, you can't miss it, suffering or trouble or tribulations mentioned seven times. Comfort or consolations mentioned ten times. That's a massive emphasis in, in five verses. What does Paul want them to know about the Christian life? Two things. It contains suffering and comfort. This, this fits in. It, actually, this, this message, well, not deliberately, but it, it, it follows on perfectly from last Sunday morning. In this world, you will have trouble. But be a good cheer. I've overcome the world. Those two things form the Christian, the basis of our Christian life. Why would God be known as the God of all comfort if we never suffer? What do we need comforting from? What do you think of when you hear the word comfort? You might think of a wash, wash a detergent thing that makes all your clothes lovely and soft. Or you might think of a warm blanket. Sometimes when I think about comfort, I think about sitting in my comfy chair with my feet up, with a packet of biscuits, with my fire on. But we've missed what the word comfort really means. The word comfort's got two parts, come and fought. Come means with, you know, come, alongside, and fought means bravery in the fight, bravery in battle. So comfort doesn't mean I'm warm and cuddly and snuggled up. Comfort means I've got someone with me in the battle to make me brave. God is the father of all mercies and is alongside you in the battle to make you brave. And again, this smashes the idea, doesn't it, that Christian life shouldn't involve suffering. When Jesus returned to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit, he said, I'm sending you a comforter. I'm not sending you a spirit that will make you comfortable. We know far more of the Holy Spirit when we're suffering than when we sit pretty. God's sending his Holy Spirit to stand alongside us in the battle. And I realize we looked at the Beatitudes on Sunday evenings, that it's, it's those who mourn for sin, but it is the mourners who are comforted. It's ever so important to see how, how God works in our life. This is not isolated to 2 Corinthians. This is God's normal way of working in our life. God doesn't work in this world to remove us from suffering. He works to go through suffering by our side. Suffering and trouble, let's get this in our heads. Suffering and trouble is normal, especially for Christians. It was normal for Jesus 
Jesus suffered. Jesus had troubles. Jesus had upsets. Jesus suffered more than anybody ever suffered. He was misrepresented more than anyone's been misrepresented. He suffered injustice worse than everybody suffered injustice. Suffering were normal for Jesus, and it's normal for us. In fact, it's one of the signs that we belong to him. In this world, there will be trouble. But God will comfort you by walking through the battle with you. This is it's theology 101. The Psalms are full of it, aren't they? I am with you wherever you go. Where can you go from my presence? When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even there, I am with you. If you're going home today and you're going home to a husband or a wife that gives you an hard time, if you go home and you've got kids that don't believe and give you an hard time, if you struggle to get up in the morning and you don't want to be here today, to be honest, and you don't want to speak to anyone afterwards, you just want to go straight home because you're that stressed and your mental health's rubbish. If you go into hospital tomorrow for results that you're dreading, Paul's point and the assumption is that the Christian life is one of suffering and setbacks, but it's one of being strengthened and encouraged, and wherever you go, the Lord's going with you. That's the pattern, that's the reality of the life. God's alongside us in the fight to make us brave. And then Paul goes on to make a massive point. He says that this comfort isn't just for us. So the fact that God comforts us in our struggles isn't just for us. Don't waste our suffering. The designs of God's comfort is that he's with us, but it's not just that he's with us. Paul says that, that, that God's comfort is that God draws near us in our struggles so that we can draw near other people in their struggles. <coughs> Don't waste our suffering. Why, why do we suffer? This is not the only answer. It's a complex thing. Why do we have suffering? One of the reasons God allows us to suffer is so that we can help other people who suffer. We can draw alongside them. Look at verse 4. God comforts us in all our troubles so that we may comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort we've been comforted with by God. How does that work? We see it all the time. Someone's had a bereavement and it's really, really hurting. And in fact, they wonder, will I ever come through this? And I can go up and I can put my arm around them and I can sympathize to a degree. I can't say I know how you feel though. But another Christian who's lost their husband or their wife or their child, they can gently come alongside them and as someone who's gone through it, they can say, I know how you feel. And I know you feel like this and this and this, but listen, trust in the Lord, he will bring you through and this is how he brought me through. That's a gift. 40 years ago, my mum and dad almost split up. They almost got divorced and God rescued the marriage. Guess what my mum and dad do loads of now? Loads of people, non-Christian people even, from the village around them. When they're having marriage problems, they go to my mum and dad. And my mum and dad can testify, yeah, we know how you feel. We know how that feels. This is how the Lord helped us through it. Anyone can help. We can all draw alongside each other, but the people who can really help is the people who've gone through it. When I were off last year, and I don't want to keep going on about this, but it's so pertinent. When I was off last year, guess what I found most helpful? Guess what actually was one of the healing things for me? I read a book by seven pastors, and some of them I know personally. 
and they'd all been depressed, they'd all had a, or had a breakdown or something like that, and they all testified how the Lord had brought them through it. And it did two things. It reminded me I'm not alone. It reminded me of this. Just as God's still using them people with their weaknesses, he can use me. And it, it was massive for me. Why am I not embarrassed to talk about weakness and the past year? Why am I not embarrassed? I probably overshare, but why am I not embarrassed for you to know things about me? I don't want you to know everything, but I'm not embarrassed for you to know most things about me. And, it, and it's huge, and it's a lesson I've had to learn, and I'm still learning. It's that weakness isn't terminal. If we depend on the Lord, he draws alongside us. It it, this last year's had a profound impact on me understanding how God works, and that weakness doesn't disqualify us. Guess what's happened over the past year? more than in the past 12 years as pastor is that people, some of you and other people have shared how you're struggling because they've known that I've been there and we've been able to comfort one another that, that's been a massive thing that's happened this year because this is how God works God comforts us in our struggles and our suffering so that we can comfort others with the comfort that God's comforted us. So when I was struggling, I was comforted by other Christians who had been through what I was going through. And hopefully as you go through things, I'll be able to comfort you with the comfort I've received from God as you go through things. And then when someone else goes through it, you'll be able to comfort them. See, in, in this world we live in, we either have bravado or patheticness. We either have people who are brash or people who are pathetically woke. The gospel offers us a better way. The gospel says you can be honest about your weakness. You can be honest about your failures, but not be defined by them. You can be honest about your failures, and so you, aren't gonna, you don't feel like you're hiding something, but at the same time, you're not pathetic, because when we give our struggles and our weaknesses to God, he uses them. And things we've suffered, he uses them to help other people. Whether it's marriage breakup, kids, mental health, abuse, bereavement, there are people here in this room who, who've gone through it. And one of the, one of the reasons, not, the, not all of the reasons, one of the reasons God's allowed you to go through it is so that you can comfort other people who are going to go through it. And we can testify how God's kept us. It's powerful. God comforts us so we can comfort others with the comfort that God has given us. Don't waste our sufferings. Don't waste our troubles by making out that we're strong. Don't waste your weaknesses by hiding the fact that you're weak. That doesn't mean you have to tell everyone everything. But, but, but don't waste your weakness by never admitting it. Don't waste your weaknesses by allowing your struggles to make you become bitter. Don't waste your weaknesses by, by bottling them up. Share them. Do you know there's so many Christians and they feel useless. So many Christians feel useless, particularly about things like parenting or the kids' behavior. You look around, one of the major reasons we see other people's kids, don't we think, oh, they're brilliant, they're really well behaved. They're great. And so those of us who, who struggle, we think we're rubbish. We want people to think we've got it all together, so we end up missing out on opportunities to, 
to comfort people and, and help people with their parenting. And what you find is that if people are honest, everyone's got the same problems, but behind the scenes and some mask them better. And this is the problem at Corinth, and this is the problem across the church today. We're more, we're more bothered about keeping up appearances. And so we miss the opportunity for grace. It's not that we walk into church and we blab everything that's going on in our lives, but we should be walking into grace. We should be walking into a safe place amongst safe people where we can share. And even more, when we live together like this, sharing and comforting and encouraging in troubles, that's where we develop deep friendships. That's where we develop deep bonds. Imagine the freedom that comes from knowing that, we know we confess our sins to Christ, we get that. But imagine the freedom that comes when, when we come into church and we're able to admit our failures knowing that we're not going to be picked on and judged because we brought them to Christ. We become like army veterans, don't we? You know, um, Lewis and Harry mocked me for mentioning Gary in my sermons. Gary's one of my really good friends. And we don't see each other as much as we used to do, but, but we're close in part because we've been through things together. Troubles and sufferings, personal and church, and it forms a bond. I'm finding that to be true of the wider leadership. We're coming together. Suffering brings us together. Weakness brings us together. I want that to be true of us as a church. Not that we're a woe and pathetic church, but that we're a band of brothers and sisters. We're forged together in suffering and comforting one another because we can be honest about our weaknesses. We can comfort each other in our weaknesses. We can say, yeah, I felt like that. This is how the Lord helped me. Because that's what the Christian life is like. That's how the Christian life should work. Not having perfect kids. Not having trouble-free marriages. Not having it all together. Nobody's like that behind the scenes. It's a white-knuckle ride. And we gradually learn as we go through the Lord's with us. And I found this helpful. Let me share how I find it helpful. Because it might be helpful for you. And Paul adds that the, in verse 6, the goal of this is so that we can endure in suffering. The goal of God allowing us to, to suffer and comforting us so that we can comfort other people is so that when suffering comes, we can endure it. See, the sign that God's with us, some people say, oh, you're suffering, there must be a sin in your life. The sign that God's with us isn't that we've come out the other side victorious, it's that we're enduring. The sign that God's with you this morning in your struggle, the sign that he's with you isn't going to be when you come through it, it's the fact that you're still standing in it. And Paul's mega optimistic for these Corinthians. Firstly, he says, he lets them know you will suffer, but then he makes it clear your suffering is going to be the making of you. That's the thing that's going to sort you out. He says in verse 7, our hope for you is steadfast. I'm sure of this, that you're going to partake in suffering and you're going to be com comforted. What do you think is going to knock the pride out of them when they're looking down on Paul and thinking Paul can't be a proper apostle, he's suffered? It's when they suffer. This is really solid doctrine. This is boots on the ground. This is why belonging to a local church is so important. You know, people can flip from church to church. People can listen to brilliant preachers online and they might feed you, but who's going to put your arm around you when you're suffering? Who's going to say, I know how you feel and this is how the Lord helped me? How are we going to get that apart from the local church? See, suffering and trouble is par for the course. We'll see tonight, anybody who tells you that suffering isn't part of the course of a Christian, they're a false teacher. God comforts us in our suffering so that we can comfort others in their suffering with the comfort that God's comforted us with. 
Christ suffered terrible. He was misunderstood, misrepresented, beaten, mocked, killed. Not because he needed to become a better person, but so that the Lord can say to Paul, Paul, I know exactly how you feel. I know exactly how you feel, Paul, when they pick on you for being a Christian. I'm with you. I'm going nowhere. I'll get you through this. And he says the same to us. He's able to completely sympathize with us. So that's the first major lesson of this book, this letter. We will suffer. Don't be surprised. We are weak. But we will be comforted because God will walk with us so we can be brave. And he'll walk with us so we can be brave and so that we can encourage others to be brave. And so weakness is okay if we use it right. Don't waste it. Second big lesson of this letter is that God ultimately delivers us from our troubles so that we'll depend on him and not ourselves. If we're the one that sorts all our problems out, we start to become very self-sufficient, don't we? And so the second part, the second big lesson is don't despair in, in, don't despair in your suffering. We see it in verse 8 to verse 11. This has been a real balm to me as well. Again, it's not the only reason God allows us to suffer. It's not the only reason God allows us to have trouble. But a big reason that God allows trouble to come into your life is so that you despair of yourself and depend on him. I despair of myself regular. But I'm getting better. It's not so much woe is me now. I despair of myself and I acknowledge that the Lord's strengthening me and he will deliver me. The amount of times that I've stood here or sat in there before a service and thought, I can't do this today. I feel like a fraud. I, I can't go out and be all happy smiley with everyone. And guess what? I have because the Lord brought me through and he does it for you. The main verse is verse 9. Paul says, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we shouldn't trust in ourselves, but God who raises the dead. Remember, this is Paul speaking. Why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow trouble? Why is God going to allow the Corinthian church in particular to suffer so that they'll experience his comfort and cling to him rather than think, I can do this? See, Jeremiah, I, I love the passage in Jeremiah that says, I know the plans for, I've got for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I love that passage, but, but we've got to understand one of God's plans for you is to bring you into despair of yourself. Because that's what causes you to cling to him. And Paul recalls the trouble he had in Asia. This, this is even how God worked in Paul. We think it's in Ephesus that he had these problems. Elsewhere, Paul talks about fighting with beasts in Ephesus. Paul had massive, massive opposition. Massive threats. They never left him alone. And Paul the Apostle, Paul the Great, was so burdened in Ephesus, he said, I despaired of my own life. Paul hit rock bottom. This is Paul the Apostle in the middle of his ministry, pretty much as a breakdown. It's the language of breakdown. <coughs> I despaired a lot. I wanted, I wanted to die. He said, I despaired beyond strength. I despaired beyond measure. This, this was a real experience that Paul had. I despaired beyond the strength that I had. Lord, I ain't got the strength. Maybe the Corinthians had heard about that, and that's why they're starting to question him. Can he really lead us if he's been like that himself? Paul nearly cracked up, but he's supposed to be an apostle. 
Paul wanted to die and he's supposed to be our teacher. Why did God allow Paul to suffer to such an extent that he said, I want to die? So that Paul would depend on Jesus who raises the dead. So that Paul, here he is now, and he's not embarrassed to tell the tale of his weakness. Because he's realized God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Have we got that yet? And notice that deliverance doesn't take us out of a trial. When we say God delivers us, it doesn't mean he takes us out of the trial. We're delivered through it. Maybe you've prayed the same prayer as this, but countless times I've prayed this prayer. Either as I know big trouble's coming, or, or as trouble started, or as I'm starting to feel really low, I pray this, Lord, please take this away. Lord, please deal with this. So I've prayed this loads. Lord, please deal with this situation so I don't have to. Because I ain't got the strength. I've hardly ever had that prayer answered. The usual way is if the Lord lets me go through it. But in the end, he delivers me. Not straight away. He causes me to despair. But then he delivers me. The God who comforts us in our troubles will ultimately deliver us from our troubles. Might be at the resurrection. Often it's now. This is our certain, this is our solid hope, this is how God shapes us, how God builds us, so we can shape and build others. You know how gold's purified, don't you? There's a story from the early years of, of gold refining in South Africa. They used to get a massive vat, and they used to get a huge fire going under this vat, and then they'd pour gold ore into the vat, and then melt it. And then somebody gets something that like a, a slim, massive frying pan. And they'd skim off the top layer. And then they'd heat it up again. And they'd skim off the top layer. And they'd heat it up again. And they'd skim off the top layer. And they'd keep going. And they'd, they'd, they'd stop when they could clearly see their own face in the gold. The only way to purify it. And in our sufferings and in our troubles, the Lord lets us go through fire again and again and again and again because he's skimming the dross off. And we start to see his face in us more clearly. We might not start to see it, actually other people might see it. And this is what we think when we're, when we're going through this. We think, well, that, that's not how I feel. That's not working for me. I don't feel loads more like Jesus because of this. I can't see how it's worked. Trust the process. Trust what, what God's doing. Remind me if I have an episode. Ben, trust what God's doing. That's what God's doing with you. It's what God's doing with me. It's not going to happen through the comfort we think. The God who raises the dead will comfort and deliver us and he'll bring us through. But we mustn't be like the Corinthians and despise the idea of suffering. Despise the idea of lowering ourselves. In particular, look down on those who are going through it and think they must have done something wrong. Aren't they pathetic? They might be the strongest Christians in the room. As, as you suffer and as you have trouble, but lean on him. Jesus is saying, I know how you feel. I am with you. I'm going nowhere. We'll come through this together. I want to ask two things as we close. First of all, how can, how can we help each other as we suffer? Two really obvious ways. Comfort one another. Draw alongside one another. Share our own story. Don't let our story dominate. 
Don't be one of those people who if someone shares their struggles, you're able to tell them how yours were worse. But comfort one another with the comfort we've had from Jesus. That means we have to be vulnerable. People might not think we're as strong as we seem. So what? Sound like John Piper. Don't waste your suffering. Don't let suffering make us cynical and bitter and distance. Don't, don't hide. When we're struggling, don't hide it. Speak to our brothers and sisters about it. So how do we help those who are struggling? We, we comfort one another. We, we have to be open with one another. Secondly, we pray. Prayer's huge. It seems so obvious. In verse 11, even though Paul's upset with these Corinthians, he acknowledges their prayer was one of the things that delivered him. That's what happens in Acts 12, isn't it? The church are praying for Peter because Peter's in prison and it's while they're praying, Peter knocks on the door. It's so simple. I fail, we fail. Draw alongside people who are struggling and pray for them and with them. You know, you know when someone says to you, if, if you're talking to someone today and they say, I'm struggling with this, you don't, have to be, you don't have to be big or bold. Just put your arm around them and say, let me pray for you quickly. Or if you're speaking on, I've started trying to do this. When I speak to someone on the, on the phone or when someone messages me about a problem, it's, well, let me pray with you now about it. Let's embrace in the right way being a weak church and see what God does with it. I want to leave you lastly with one question for, to answer for yourself as we close. We know we shouldn't welcome suffering. That's silly. But it is part of life. It's one of the ways that God matures. It's how God grows us. What are we doing to avoid suffering? Or what are we not doing to avoid suffering? What service for Jesus, what what fellowship, what commitment are we skipping or avoiding because we don't want to suffer? What opening up and acknowledging our own weaknesses are we avoiding because we don't want people to think we're silly? We're missing out because God's brought us together as a community of his people that in our weakness we comfort and strengthen one another and he draws alongside us and he brings us through. And that's what 2 Corinthians is, is all about and I'm looking forward to going stuck into it with you. But let me pray. Father, we thank you that you are the father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. And Lord, I pray for us as we, in various ways this morning, will be struggling. Help us not to bottle it up. Help us not to be pathetic and completely give up. But help us to bring our struggles to you and help us to be open with one another and help us to comfort one another with the comfort with which you have comforted us. Help us to value humility. Help us not to give up in the fight. And Lord, if there are people that haven't yet come to you as their saviour, in their weakness, we ask that they'd come to you and ask for your strength. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would perform this amongst us even now. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to share communion in a, in a few minutes. Before we do, we're going to sing once more, Turn Your Eyes upon Jesus.